Hi, Shay. Hello there. Shay, these last few weeks have been so hectic with planning for my wedding. So (laughs) exciting. (laughs) It is exciting. Yeah. But I have been trying to get the bulk of my lesson planning done and it seems like it eats up just hours of my day. Yuck. Well, that doesn't sound like fun, but it's part of the job, right? Mm -hmm. As educators, we find ourselves in a constant state of planning. It's true, but Lately, I've been wondering if I'm spending more time than most. Mm. Am I planning too much? Is there such a thing? Well, I certainly think so. But the lesson planning process is highly personal, isn't it? Yes, indeed. Hello, and welcome to the Teacher Think Aloud podcast, a podcast for reflective practice for teachers of English around the world. I'm your co-host, Anna. And I'm Shay. And today we're going to unpack lesson planning, how people say you should do it, how we and some of our listeners do it, and share some ideas for lesson planning that are both effective and time efficient. So first, I want to start by asking you to transport yourself back to your teacher education program. Oh my gosh, making me feel old right away, huh? (laughs) Well, you got to own it, right? Mm. But I mean, in your program, your professors probably shared ideas about what was considered the ideal quote unquote lesson plan, right? Yeah, of course, when we're first exposed to lesson planning, we're given these really robust templates that includes areas for pre, during, post lesson activities, and then maybe assessment plans that correlate with your lesson itself. Right. And your template probably has items like warm up or anticipatory set and previewing. And it probably has a designated place for the anticipated time for each activity, mm-hmm. maybe an area for detailed procedures, connection to objectives. I remember feeling really overwhelmed by how much went into a lesson plan. Like, of course, you have to share with new teachers what a solid lesson plan entails. They need that introduction and support because there really is so much involved in delivering a successful class, at least initially. Now, I would argue that there's so much that could be trimmed out. But but I love those detailed templates. (laughs) And I still actually use kind of a simplified version of them. And I think it's all a matter of preference, right? Like Anna, you're a planner in your personal life, so (laughs) I can't imagine that it would be any different in your teaching. Are you working off of a template that's extremely detailed? Just how much information are you including in your plans? I think I do plan my lessons a bit more than, you know, the average teacher, at least considering the number of years I've been in the profession. I like to plan because I just hate that feeling of being in the middle of a lesson and I'm like, I forgot what I wanted to do, Uh or like I'm having a moment where my brain is just (laughs) not functioning and I don't have that thing to latch on to. I do write a plan for every lesson and I usually use an adaptation of one of those templates I got in grad school. Nice. What about you, Shay? Well, as you can imagine, I tend to take a more relaxed approach to planning. (laughs) (laughs) I've always respected my colleagues who show up to every class with a multi-page typed plan. But I've also seen, and tend to use myself, honestly, post-it notes with bulleted lists that serve as a lesson plan. 
no one would be able to decipher one of my lesson plans nowadays. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think that's a trait of everybody. You'd never understand someone else's lesson plan. You know, the only time you'd be able to follow my lesson plan is on the days that I'm being observed, right? I'm definitely a list maker in the planning process, at least for the most part. But it depends on context. I will go beyond the post-it note if I feel I need to support my future self more or if someone else is following along. <laughs> yeah. I mean, being observed by your supervisor is great motivation to write out a detailed plan, Yep. but you're right. The level of detail in the lesson plan and the amount of time you spend planning is dependent on a lot of factors, familiarity with your subject matter, your students, their needs, whether you've done whatever it is that you're planning before. And I want to acknowledge the fact that teachers always feel that they're short on time, right? But there are some parts of a lesson plan that are non-negotiable, right? Yeah. Paola, a listener of ours from Argentina, shared that her lesson plans usually include her primary activities and a brief description where necessary. Mm -hmm. One area that she'll never skip is the warm-up portion of her class. She does admit, though, that some of her plans live in her head since she feels so comfortable with the content. <laughs> I love that. Thanks for adding to the conversation, Paula. So, Anna, what is the absolute bare minimum for a lesson plan that checks all your boxes? Yeah. What are the things you consider regardless of whether you're filling up a post-it note or three pages? Well, as we've emphasized so many times before, learning objectives and outcomes have to be the primary focus in developing anything. Absolutely. Starting off asking yourself if the activities you're planning connect explicitly with what you want the students to be able to do. That and how much time I have to get them there. Hmm. How long am I anticipating the activity will take and how long is class time? And we all know that activities seem to never take the amount of time that we think they will. <laughs> right. So if the time I've allocated does run short or longer, how can I be flexible with the rest of the activities to compensate? Like the other day in the middle of my lesson, I realized that the conversation was just going so well and I didn't want to pull my students out of that moment. So I went on over to the LMS while they were occupied in their breakout rooms and made what was supposed to be the next activity as homework for that night. Awesome. Yeah, you have to take advantage of those moments. I remember when I first started teaching, I would make up these super detailed plans for my class and my timing would just be off, partially because of my inexperience with allocating time and partially mm -hmm. because I would just let really great conversations or engaging activities run their full course, even if it meant that I had to sacrifice something else. So something that I'll always do, no matter how detailed or not, my physical plan is, <laughs> is put a little asterisk or something next to the activities that absolutely need to be worked through. Nice. One of our listeners, Jordan, who works in Turkey, he actually had a great analogy for what you're talking about. He says he approaches lesson plans like a road trip. You have an objective, but you're open for variation. Like on a road trip, you might take detours, but you still have the same overarching plan. If you end up somewhere amazing and feel you need to spend more time there, you can do that. And then you might spend less time in a place that interests you and your travel buddies less. Mm -hmm. You also need to be prepared for problems you might run into, like traffic, construction, feeling tired. So to translate that to lesson planning, Jordan's saying we need to have a plan and guidelines, but we need to be flexible. Yeah. We may want to pause more on certain skills. Stuff happens. Things change. But we need to know how to improvise. 
Yeah. So Jordan basically thinks that being overly detailed isn't a great idea. Mm, I love that analogy of planning for a road trip naturally. Uh, and I have to agree. Thanks, Jordan. So Shay, does that kind of match your own approach? Yeah, it sure does. The bare minimum for me in a lesson plan is to clarify what the objectives, activities, and anticipated timing for the session are. And while I don't always write all of my thoughts down in advance, I'll typically have variations of those activities in my mind, like how I might make this into an asynchronous task, homework, or even leave it for the next meeting. I think that having flexibility in your planning process is just so important. You have to think about the what ifs. So something I'll regularly do is create multiple avenues to arrive at the same destination. I'll say something like, if X happens, then I'll follow path A. If Y happens, then we go path B. Well, that sounds like more planning than what you've admitted to, Shay. (laughs) So you are a planner in the end. (laughs) Yes, this free floaty thing is all just a facade. You got me. (laughs) No, but it only sounds like it, though. In creating this sort of multi-pronged approach to lesson planning, I'm actually just setting myself up to have built-in homework, warm-up activities for the next session, or a different way to review content. And so you've essentially done yourself the favor of creating a really explicit connection between the live session and the asynchronous work. Homework and the class experience have to complement one another, right? It's all part of the same curriculum. And sometimes because we're creating the two sets of activities that are separate from one another, they start to seem like they live in isolation, right? Like they're not part of a larger purpose. Right. So like the homework needs to complement the lesson plan. The lesson plan complements the homework, which all come together to meet these objectives. Mm. And so for me, I mean, obviously every single lesson plan, I, I do plan a separate lesson plan, but it's not like an isolated thing, right? You're not going and meeting a new class every time and starting a new topic. I hope not. You're no, you're going in and it's this continuation of a community and experience that you've been building over the course of the entire semester or quarter, or even shorter than that. Mm -hmm. And so if you plan your syllabus, your whole curriculum, if you really think about that from the beginning and have an idea of where you are and where you're going and what are some of the tasks that will help get you to meet those objectives, If you figure out how that will fit, maybe you have a couple of milestones on your syllabus, on your schedule. Mm -hmm. If you plan that out pretty clearly from the onset, I think that's a huge time saver in terms of individual lesson planning. Absolutely. This reminds me of the conversation we had when I visited you earlier this summer. And you asked me what I was planning for my class the next day, what type of prep I had to do that I had to make time for that evening. And I told you like, Nah, nothing. Like I know exactly what I'm going to do tomorrow because it just kind of naturally falls out of what we have been doing. Yeah. And I was over there cringing, like, what do you mean you don't have a plan or you're not planning for tomorrow? And you were like, not really. I mean, I have to do these specific things because this is where my curriculum has led me. You Mm -hmm. already had this predetermined path to take. Yeah, it's pretty exciting when it all works itself out in that way. But that's definitely not always the case, Mm -hmm. right? It does help, though, to plan more on a macro level, at least in my experience. Yeah, it's nice to arrive at a place of automaticity when it comes to planning or teaching. Like there's such value in building up a tool belt of go-to activities that helps to decrease the amount of time we spend hunched over our laptops planning lessons. Mm -hmm. 
You don't have to be a veteran teacher to have built up an arsenal of tasks that you know work for you. Right. So naturally, everyone is going to determine their go-to activities, which is great. Mm -hmm. But then I do think that we need to be honest with ourselves about just how often we're going back to those old reliables. Since this is a podcast about reflective pedagogy, I think we're always examining the ways we can improve our craft, avoid stagnation. Mm. Are you challenging yourself to do something a bit differently just to see how it could play out differently, even if the tried and true way is effective? At least in my classes, I do push myself to try a few new activities or approaches each term so that I broaden my arsenal of tricks. Yeah, you have to. Pushing yourself to break the monotony of your same old habits is important. And lesson planning is the place to do that. But it can be hard sometimes to be creative. Yeah, especially when you're churning out lesson plan after lesson plan day after day. Mm. So here's where the idea of time efficient planning comes in. How do you keep your lessons fresh while also not spending too much time on planning? Well, it's nothing earth shattering, but I just pay attention to what sort of energy I have in the moment and I let that dictate my next move. Okay. Um, that was a very you answer. Uh, can <laughs> can you mean? explain a little more for us? <laughs> yeah. So for me, anyway, it comes down to energy mindfulness. So on a typical work day, which might include lesson planning, building curricula, teaching, writing, grading, etc. I stop to notice how I'm feeling. Do I feel creative? Do I feel pragmatic? Would I prefer a task that allows me to tap into that creativity or one that lends itself to the mundane, the repetitious? Okay. Yeah. So for me, <laughs> lesson planning is much more effective when I have a little bit of creative energy flowing through me. And I do best with these sorts of creative endeavors mid-afternoon and right before bed. Oh, uh, I see. So by choosing the most opportune moment to do creative lesson planning, which is for you in the mid-afternoon evening, definitely not the same time as me. I'm not creative before bed, but um, <laughs> by knowing yourself and how you work, you don't spend time staring at a screen when you know your mind isn't in the right place. I'm an early bird. So lesson planning makes the most sense for me in the morning when I have the most uninterrupted bouts of concentration. And that's the ticket, right? Intense focus for short periods of time rather than desperately grasping at straws, trying to get it all to come together just for the sake of checking something off your to-do list. That's what I found helps me feel like lesson planning is less of a chore. And because of this, I tend to revisit my plans multiple times and rework them before the session. I really appreciate some opportunity to mull things over, to spend more time being intentional, rather than slapping things together in a rush because I don't feel like doing it anymore. I also think sometimes taking a step back and letting it breathe, ruminating mm. on those ideas over time instead can lead to better lesson plans. It's like if you're working with some meat, you want a barbecue, you want that meat to marinate before you throw it on the grill. So why should it be any different with what you're delivering to your students? Yeah, that's exactly right. Marinate that meat. <laughs> Let those lesson plans stew a bit. Are we hungry? <laughs> well, you did just bring up barbecue. <laughs> Teachers, we want to hear from you. What does your lesson planning process look like? During an average week, how much time do you spend planning? And how often are you examining your routine inclusions and considering a revamp, a refresher? You can join the conversation on our various social media accounts. Email us via our contact form at teacherthinkaloud.com or comment via Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. 
We welcome your reflections, questions, and ideas. And for more resources related to today's topic, take a look at our website and our podcast anchor page, anchor.fm slash teacher think aloud. Thanks so much for joining us on the teacher think aloud podcast. And until next time, happy teaching and happy reflecting. Thank you.